I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. If you go to a hundred conferences for men, I'll tell you what they all are. How to be a godly husband. How to be a godly father. How to leave a godly legacy. How to build godly character. Uh, how to make an influence on your community. You'll go to a hundred. You will never see the topic we have this weekend. You will never see it. In fact, when they told me the topic, facing persecution, I actually didn't believe them. I really didn't. I thought, no, that's not, that's, that's not a typical men's topic. And so I want to say this to you. God has gone to some great length to get us all together, to talk about something that evidently is more important than we might think. So maybe we'll start right here. Let's go to the uh, PowerPoint and let's just start right here. This will be where we'll begin. This simple statement. Persecution is terrible, but unfaithfulness to God is far worse. Now, I want you tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow night, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to take notes. Whenever you find my list, there's one book on there I want you to read. I want you to buy it. I want you to read it. I think it could change your life. The book is called Killing Christians. Killing Christians. Living the faith where it's not safe to believe. Written by a man named Tom Doyle. I had read part of it before. Today on the plane from from Dallas out here to Orange County, I finished the rest of it and I found the stories in there pierced my soul. Because you know, one of the problems, and I've been kind of wrestling with this in my mind, one of the problems is that whenever we talk about persecution in America, it's one thing. We talk about opposition in America. It's one thing. When we talk about what is going on in Somalia and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq and India and China and and Indonesia, it is something else. Okay? There's opposition to the Christian gospel everywhere, but we face it in one way in America. Our brothers and sisters around the world face it in horrific ways. We're going to talk a little bit more about the, the, the big, the, the outside of America part. We're going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow morning. But I want you to read your manual. I want you to get that book. After I'm gone, after this weekend, get that book. It's the best single book right now on, on the persecuted church around the world. Session one is Christianity in Crisis. So we begin with the words of a man by the name of Robert P. George. He is a distinguished professor of law at Princeton University. He's one of the best thinkers we have in the Christian movement today. He is a a brilliant man, a brilliant speaker, a great defender of what we call Orthodox Christianity. A while back, he wrote an article called Ashamed of the Gospel. We'll begin our journey this way. The days of socially acceptable Christianity in the West are surely over. 
The days of comfortable Christian orthodoxy are past. Now, if one does not believe what the church teaches, or for now at least, even if one does believe those teachings, but is prepared to be completely silent about them, one is safe, one can still be a comfortable Christian. In other words, a tame Christian, one who is ashamed of the gospel, or is willing to act publicly as if he or she were ashamed, is still socially acceptable. But a Christian who makes it clear that he or she is not ashamed must be prepared to take risk and make sacrifices. In theory, we all agree with this. But in an age of beheadings, those words take on a different tone. Then, from Mike Huckabee, I think it's fair to say that Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Not just in our lifetime, but ever before in the history of this great nation. We are rapidly moving toward the criminalization of Christianity. I think he's right. I think Professor George is right. It's not just evangelicals who are talking this way. Our friends in the Catholic Church saying the same thing. A number of years ago, I met Francis George, the Roman Catholic Cardinal of the city of Chicago. He was a defender of... I I met him in connection with the pro-life movement. He was a great defender of the unborn. This is one of his most famous statements. I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. So far, the first part of that's come true. He did die in his bed. We shall see about the rest. I do not tonight or this weekend wish to be an alarmist, but alarming things are happening in America. The moral revolution is proceeding at warp speed. Now, we can argue about whether we were ever really, quote, the moral majority in this country. If we were, we certainly aren't now. Christians are part of a vanishing moral minority in America. I think some of you probably know the name Dr. Al Mohler, who is the distinguished president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's one of the best thinkers we've got in the evangelical movement. And a while back, several years ago, he talked about the three stages in a moral revolution. How does a society change from believing this over here And within a generation, now they believe the exact opposite. He says there are three stages in any moral revolution. Here is stage number one. What was condemned is now celebrated. What was condemned, what what we all agreed was wrong, is now celebrated. Number two, what was celebrated is now condemned. And number three, those refusing to celebrate are condemned. I submit to you, especially in the realm of sexual ethics, especially in the realm of the gay marriage and transgender debate, that is exactly, it's exactly what has happened in America today. Which brings me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I know your pastor has talked about this and been preaching from 2 Timothy uh, a number of times. So I'm just going to, I'm going to bring to the surface here a few thoughts to you from 2 Timothy 3 show you what is happening in America. But just this. Know this. 
That in the last days, Paul says, 2 Timothy 3.1, perilous times will come. You can underline that word perilous. Perilous times. It's an interesting word. It's only used one other place in the New Testament. It's used here in 2 Timothy 3. It's used in the Gospel of Matthew for those Gadarean demoniacs, those demon-possessed men who, who, who were crazy, who broke the chains, who lived among the tombs, who, who ran around screaming, who tore, their, who, 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 who tore their clothes off. In other words, they were wild savages. And that's a good word. That's a really good word. In the last days, watch this, savage times will come. Desperate times. Dangerous times, terrible times. Wallace Henley is a noted Christian columnist, newspaper columnist. He wrote a column with an intriguing title. He said, Dear churches in America, prepare to be treated like first century Christians in Rome. Mm. Mm. He said, Every church in America that takes a stand for the Bible and especially, he said, in the area of sexual ethics. Every church that does not want to go along with the gay revolution and the transgendered revolution, he said, the day will come when they will come for us, when they will delegitimize us, and they will take away our 501c3, and they'll take away our incorporation, they'll take away our tax deductibility, they'll use the zoning laws to put us out of business. He said, Christians and churches in America prepare to be treated like the early Christians in Rome. And in this article, he talked about how voices are silenced in a culture. And Wallace Henley said there are five steps. And, and this, by the way, is not particular to what's going on in America. This is in any culture. This is what happened in Nazi Germany in the late 30s and early 1940s. How voices are silenced in a culture. Five steps. Number one, marginalization. You just push people to the edges so their voices don't matter. Second, caricaturization. That's an unusual word. It means to, it means to make fun of people. It means to make them the butt of jokes. It means to use stereotypes to make them look as foolish as possible. Third, is vilification. Having pushed them to the edge, having stereotyped them, you now vilify them in public discussion. Fourth, of course, is criminalization. And there is only one stage left. And that, my friends, is elimination. And I want to submit to you tonight, number three is where we are tonight. Number three, we're, we're past marginalization. We're past caricaturization. We're into the vilification phase. And who knows, the next few years, the Supreme Court, aided by the media, aided by powerful forces in Washington, Hollywood, may take us all the way to criminalization. Don't be surprised. Attacks on religious freedom in America come in many different varieties. Let me give you a few examples. New Mexico Christian photographers, John and Elaine Huguenin, were sued by two lesbians under the state's sexual orientation law after declining to photograph the lesbian's, quote, commitment ceremony. In Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a teacher at Park Lakes Elementary School sternly ordered a fifth grader to stop reading his Bible during free time. She told him, put it on my desk. The teacher then left a voicemail 
for the boy's father, telling him that those books, meaning the Bible, were not allowed in, quote, her classroom. A colonel's column was removed from an Air, Air National Guard newsletter because the writer violated military policy by including references to Jesus Christ and God. Two Christian ministers who owned the Hitching Post Wedding Chapel in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, were told they either had to perform same-sex weddings or face jail time and up to a $1,000 fine. Five Christian men were threatened with arrest for sharing their faith on a public sidewalk in Virginia. And this one, this one right here is very current. Jack Phillips, owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop. That's a name to know. The Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado. Here's the story. Five years ago, 2012, a gay couple came in and they wanted to order a wedding cake. Have him design it. Congratulations on your wedding and all of that. He said, I cannot do it because of my convictions. But he said, there are other bakers in town who will do it. I'm happy to give you the names of other places where you can go to get your cake made for your wedding. That angered the gay couple. So they contacted the Colorado Human Rights Commission. And guess what? The Human Rights Commission in Colorado ordered him, ordered him to bake cakes for gay weddings or stop baking wedding cakes altogether. I'm on his website today, or earlier this week. Masterpiece Cake Shop. <laughs> I went on it. And you know what? It's fantastic. All the stuff he does. You click on wedding cakes, it says, we are sorry. We do not do wedding cakes anymore. The Colorado Supreme Court upheld that decision. As a result, he lost 40% of his income and most of his employees as a result. And the reason this is interesting is because this case is currently before the United States Supreme Court. They're going to hear oral arguments at the Supreme Court before the end of the year. So pay attention to that case. A pro-life nurse at a hospital in New York was forced to participate in late-term abortion, even though her workplace had agreed in writing to honor her religious convictions. An Arkansas middle school banned a Christian student from wearing a T-shirt declaring, quote, virginity rocks. On the back it reads, I'm loving my husband and I haven't even met him. The school banned the T-shirt because it might lead to, quote, uncomfortable conversations about sex. The Dallas VA Medical Center blocked local school children from giving Christmas cards to veterans because some of the cards included the terms, Merry Christmas and God bless you. Maybe you know this next one. Kevin Cochran, who, one of the most decorated, respected firefighters in all of America, he was the fire chief of Atlanta, Georgia. Surely one of the, one of the highest positions you could attain. African-American, came up out of poverty, was, uh, was, uh, um, uh, did a great job as the fire chief in Shreveport, Louisiana. Left there because President Barack Obama appointed him to a commission to, to consider fire safety. And from that commission, he was hired by the city of Atlanta to be their fire chief. And everybody agrees his record was exemplary. He was fired from his job several years ago because of his Christian beliefs. Being an African American couldn't save him because the thought police declared he had committed the unpardonable sin of affirming traditional marriage. He wrote a manual for his local church called Quest for Authentic Manhood, 
where he said what Christians have always said, that sex outside of a man-woman marriage is wrong in the eyes of God. Now, no. What he wrote was in a privately published manual for his, in his own time for his own church. But when openly gay city council member Alex Wan heard about it, controversy exploded. It hit the headlines. It, it roiled the city of Atlanta. He was fired from his job. And this is what the openly gay city council member said. Quote, I respect each individual's right to have their own thoughts, beliefs, and opinions. But when you're a city employee and those thoughts, beliefs, and opinions are different from the city's, you have to check them at the door. In late August, late August, two months ago, the Federal Court of Appeals in San Francisco announced that a school district in Washington State could fire high school football coach Joseph Kennedy, formerly the head coach at Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington, for nothing more than praying by himself after each game. Another Federal Court of Appeals recently told Marianne Salsa, a public, school, a public housing resident in Kansas, that two officers, listen to this, that two police officers could force her to stop praying in her own home for no reason whatsoever. These are the words of Kelly Shackelford from the First Liberty Institute. Quote, This is a remarkable moment in our nation's history. Over two centuries after our founders established this great country and enshrined religious freedom into our Constitution as our first liberty, government officials and courts are now telling us we can't pray at work or at home. When Russell Vogt, graduate of Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois, great, one of the leading Christian colleges in America, when Russell Vogt was nominated for deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget earlier this year, there was a public hearing in Washington. Senator Bernie Sanders quizzed him publicly about a blog post he wrote defending the Christian view of salvation. Because at Wheaton College about two years ago, there was a professor at Wheaton who, for various reasons, came out and said that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. She ended up losing her job over that. Russell Vogt wrote in his own blog these words, stated that Muslims, he said, no, we don't worship the same God. True, it's obvious. But he said, Muslims do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. At the public hearing in Washington, Bernie Sanders read that statement and then called that statement, which the rest of us would con just consider basic Christian theology. He called it indefensible, hateful, Islamophobic, and an insult to over a billion Muslims around the world. This nominee, Bernie Sanders said, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. Writing about this in the National Review, Ian Tuttle said, Bernie Sanders demands that Russell Vogt affirm that everyone is going to heaven, even though there is no evidence that Sanders believes in any heaven. And Ian Tuttle, this is the last sentence, the last sentence of his article. He said, the dirty little secret of secular liberalism is not that its practitioners don't believe in God, it's that they believe they are God. Stephen Bridget Tennis run the Country Mill Farm outside of Lansing, Michigan, where for years 
They sold their produce at the Lansing Farmer's Market. Okay, beans, carrots, okra, corn, pumpkins. It's a farmer's market. They've got a great farm. But By the way, Steve and Bridget Tennis are, are both veterans who've served in the armed forces. Recently, they were banned by the city of Lansing just a couple months ago. Banned from participating. Why? Because they stated their support for traditional marriage on their Facebook page. They were banned because of what they believe. And, and this has not been resolved yet. Bridget Tennis said, All of a sudden, I felt like we couldn't even believe what we wanted to believe. We had to be quiet. The Southern Poverty Law Center has issued a list of hate groups in America. That list includes the KKK and neo-Nazi groups along with pro-family groups such as the Family Research Council and the American Family Association. That last one comes close to home because I broadcast on the radio twice a week live from Dallas on American Family Radio. I am a board member of the American Family Association. We may be many things, we are certainly not a hate group. Frank Brunei, columnist for the New York Times. This comes from a couple years ago. Before Mike Pence and Donald Trump hooked up and he became vice president, when Mike Pence was still the governor of Indiana, you may remember there was a religious freedom law they passed there and it kind of blew up and blew up in their face and it became really controversial and it, it just didn't work out the way Mike Pence and the others wanted it to. And Frank Brunei wrote an article called in the New York Times, Bigotry, the Bible, and the Lessons of Indiana. This basically is what he said. He said, religious people now need to change their views. Our debate about religious freedom should include a conversation about freeing religions and religious people from prejudices that they don't need to cling to and can indeed jettison, much as they've jettisoned other aspects of their faith's history. What? This last phrase. Rightly bowing to the enlightenment's of modernity. That is what the other side wants. Do you understand that? That's what the other side wants. They don't just want you to be quiet. They want you to change. He quotes in the article Mitchell Gold, furniture maker and gay philanthropist who founded Faith in America to mitigate the damage done to LGBT community by, quote, religion-based bigotry. And in that column, he quotes Mitchell Gold this way, Church leaders must be made to take homosexuality off the sin list. That's where we are in America today. It is exactly where we are. And my friends, in the days to come, it is not going to get better. In the days to come, it's going to get worse. In the days to come, the attacks are going to be even greater. So I was thinking about how to, tomorrow morning I'm going to talk about what's going on around the world, the, the beheadings and the, the horrific suffering of our brothers and sisters. I tried to think, how to put what's happening here in America in context? Well, I believe that basically football and war explain everything. And in this case, I believe the Civil War explains what's going on in America. When the, when the states of the Confederacy pulled out of the Union in 1861, as that was coming to pass, the general in charge of the Union armies 
a man by the name of, of, of General Winfield uh, Scott. He came up with a strategy. It was called the Anaconda Strategy. Here was his theory. He said the way to beat the South is do three things. Number one, blockade the ports so the cotton couldn't get out and munitions couldn't get in. Number two, and, and that's what the Union forces did. Number two, split the Confederacy in two by, by conquering the Mississippi River, which is what Ulysses S. Grant did in 1863. And the third thing was send the armies of the Union to Richmond. Okay, and that's what happened. Why do they call it the Anaconda Plan? Watch this. The anaconda is the largest snake in the world. It's non-venomous. It doesn't need to be venomous. It has such powerful coils. It can wrap around a, a, a cow and kill a cow. It can wrap around a lion and kill a lion. I saw a video of, of a huge anaconda wrapping around an elephant and squeezing the life out of it. This, this was Winfield Scott's great snake. The idea in the Confederacy. Surround it. You see, see the snake there? Surround it so that you've got it on the edges, come down the Mississippi River, and then send the troops into Richmond. And the, watch this. The interesting thing was, when Scott came up with this, he was widely ridiculed. A hundred and fifty years later, it's generally understood that's exactly how the Union won the Civil War. The Anaconda strategy. Squeeze them to death. That's what the secularists are doing. They largely are not beheading us. We wouldn't stand for that. They largely are not shooting us in the street. We wouldn't stand for that. What they are doing is saying, take that off your t-shirt. What they're saying is, if you want to work here, you can't proclaim your Christian convictions. They're squeezing, squeezing us out of academia, squeezing us out of politics, certainly squeezing us out of Hollywood. I think, this is the image that stays in my mind. We are being squeezed out of the public arena in America. Now, on your outline, let's just go through this fast now. What does Paul mean when he talks about the last days? For in the last days, savage times will come. Well, two answers. Number one, that phrase, the last days, can apply to the whole period from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. There's a sense in which we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. But number two, the term last days also applies to the final days before our Lord's return. Remember in Matthew 24, Jesus said you hear of wars and rumors of wars and false Christ and you'll hear of pestilence and you'll hear of famine and you'll hear of disease. But the end is not yet. He said all these things in the King James are the beginning of sorrows. Actually, in the Greek, it's birth pains, like labor pains. How do labor pains come? They're low and they're slow. Low and slow. Low and slow. Then they're higher and faster. Higher and faster. Higher and faster. Higher and faster. The pain gets greater. The interval gets smaller. Until at the end... They're coming so fast, it's all at once. And when the pain finally becomes, it's just one great pain, then the baby comes out. As we rush headlong toward the second coming of Jesus Christ, all the signs 
are going to be like the labor pains. They're going to start low and slow. They're going to get higher, faster, stronger as we rush toward the coming of our Lord. So I think when Paul says in the last days, he's talking about the whole epoch, but he also means especially those who are living where we are living in the 21st century, where we are seeing the signs of the time coming higher and faster. Now, what will the last days be like? Let me read for you 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 and 3. 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 and 3. This is, this is quite a catalog, quite a list. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay, check it out. Check out this statement on the PowerPoint. In the last days, savage times will come as men begin to cast off all moral restraint and society begins to disintegrate. Savage times will come. So what are the last days going to be like? Number one, they will be violent, dangerous, and frightening. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. Violent, dangerous, and frightening. Number two, they will be a time of spiritual anarchy. Carl Henry was probably the greatest of the evangelical theologians, at least in a public sense, from about the early 1960s to about the mid-1990s when the Lord took him home to heaven. In his early years, he was the editor of Christianity Today. He wrote these, these really heavy, a defense of biblical authority, heavy, thick, heady volumes, hard to read, but very meticulously researched. Great, 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 great thinker. In his old age, the last book he wrote was published in about eight, uh, 1989 or 1990, right along in there, just a couple years before he died, was, was published by Crossway. It was not a heady tome. It's a short little book. It was called Twilight of a Great Civilization. Twilight of a Great Civilization. And listen to what elder statesman Carl Henry said at the end of his life, about eight, 1989, 1990, looking ahead into the 21st century. He said... We have seen in the 20th, 20th century the benign face of humanism. But he said in the 21st century, that benign face will be ripped off and we will see the ugly, savage face of humanism for all the world to see. I submit to you, verily, what he said 25 years ago has indeed come to pass. How does all this happen? Number one, it starts with a total rejection of God. A total rejection of God. That leads to a total moral collapse. And that ends with a total breakdown of society. A total breakdown of society. Now a minute ago, I put up there uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 2 and 3 from one of the standard translations. I'm going to put it up here now. This is from the message. We understand the message is not a literal translation, but sometimes you read a little paraphrase and gives you a different flavor. Look at this. 
As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, there's your word, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. I like that. Bloated windbags. And look at this. Addicted to lust and allergic to God. Boy, if two phrases ever described our society, there it is. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they are animals. True. What should we expect? Well, verse 5 says, talking about these religious leaders of the last day, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Here's the bizarre thing about the last days. We are here now. We are right here. As men turn away from God, they actually become more religious. Because if you turn away from God, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside the human heart. You've got to replace that with something. So bizarrely, in the last days, they will turn away from God but become more religious. They'll use religious words with empty meaning. Religious leaders, number two, will lead the way into spiritual compromise. Number three, we must Avoid those leaders at all cost. At all cost. Let me wrap this up this way. I have gone fast. I know that. You know those examples I gave? I could go to midnight. There's so many of them. What steps can we take? We'll talk more tomorrow. Just the beginning. Number one, in thinking about the devastation in our society. Be sure you take the long view of history. The long view of history. We're not at the end of the game yet. As the gospel song says, I've read the end of the book and we win. You know, we hear a lot from the people on the other side, particularly on these sexual issues. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Let me say something. It may be today in our culture, they think we're on the wrong side. Let's wait till the end of the game. Let's wait till the score is finally posted. Remember, what is history anyway? History is His story. It's His story. So take the long view of history. Number two, men, write this down, please. Do whatever it takes to protect your family. I thank God for Pastor Philip. He cannot save your family. I thank God for the staff of this church. What wonderful men and women work here. They cannot save your family. I thank God for the singles ministry and the, and the children's ministry and the, and the high school ministry. I mean, I drove around. I said, it's fantastic what this church is doing. This church cannot take your place. Only you can be a husband to your wife. Only you can be a father to your children. You know what the Puritans said several hundred years ago? They said every home is to be a little church. Every home is to be a little church. And every Christian husband is to be the pastor of his own family. Do not say to kindred church, raise my family. The church can teach you the principles. But men, in a day of spiritual conflict, we must rise up as spiritual leaders, as husbands and as fathers, and lead our family in the name of God. Number three, be public about your faith. Be public about your faith. Meaning, 
Go ahead and wear the t-shirt. <laughs> Go ahead and write the manual. Go ahead and tell them what you believe. Remember what Esther said? I'm going to go in, and if I perish, I perish. Amen. Go and do the right thing. Go and do the right thing. You, you can get another job. There's jobs out there. You can't get your reputation back if you compromise your faith. Number four, don't just get into the Word. Be sure the Word gets into you. I love your pastor. I love Pastor Philip, one of the one of the greatest Bible teaching pastors in all of America. They love him. By the way, two weeks ago he was at Dallas Seminary. He blew him away. They love him at Dallas Seminary. They love him at Prestonwood Baptist Church. Your pastor is a great, great Bible teacher. Listen to what he says. But don't just listen. Don't just get into the word. Make sure the word gets into you. Number five, keep your eyes open and stay alert. Keep your eyes open and stay alert. Here at the end now, just ask this question. Should we be afraid? No. 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 No, we should not be afraid. We should be like the men of Issachar in the Old Testament. Remember that story? The men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what the people of God should do. We ought to rise up and be modern-day men of Issachar who understand what's going on in the world and can say this is what the people of God should do. So, tough times are coming. I'm certain of it. Tough times are coming. The Bible says it. The Bible says tough times are going to come in the last days. Don't be surprised. These are going to be great days for evangelism. Be ready. You may face opposition. Be bold. Jesus is coming. Travel light. Travel light. So I mentioned at the beginning the book by Tom Doyle, Killing Christians, Living the Faith Where It's Not Safe to Believe. So you get to the end. and It's basically, it's not a heavy book. It's vignettes from the Middle East. Unbelievable stories of suffering and valor and courage of Christians in the Middle East and how they stood for the Lord. It's interesting. Get to the end of the book. And he said there's two questions American Christians need to ask and answer. I really wasn't prepared for this. He said every Christian needs to ask and answer these questions. Because, he said, in the Middle East, where they pay with their life for what they believe, these are the questions they ask each other. Question number one, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Question number two, are you willing to die for Jesus? Now tonight, pretty peaceful. I don't think anybody's going to shoot us on the way out to our car. You're probably not going to go home and find they've broken into your home and killed your family because you're Christians. That is happening in the Middle East. I think we ought to take a lesson from our brothers and sisters who are on the front line of spiritual conflict and every man here ought to ask himself, am I willing to suffer for Jesus? Am I willing to die for Jesus? It's time to do some spiritual house cleaning. That's why we're here this weekend. Time to look under the rug, behind the couch. Time to vacuum out the corners of your soul. Time to clean out the rec room. Time to seal the cracks in the foundation. Time to shore up the sagging walls of your heart. If we read about Perilous times to come 
and give in to fear, we have missed the great point that Jesus is the victor in the end. We've got to live in hope because our God is a God of hope. And here's the deal. The church has always done its best work in bad days and hard times. We don't do so well when we've got a lot of money in the bank. We don't do so well when we're in prosperity. The church historically has done the best when times were the toughest. But as the darker the night, right, the brighter the light shines. These are the greatest days in human history. These are the greatest days in all of history for us to be alive. Think of it. You, me, we may live to see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some few years ago, there was a TV show set in West Texas called Friday Night Lights. Football. Football drama. They had a little saying there. The coach would say to his players, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I want to change that up on the screen there. Clear eyes, full hearts, no fear. Clear eyes, full hearts, no fear. Clear eyes, full hearts, no fear. We are fighting a battle we cannot lose. The Lord is looking for some soldiers who will serve in His army. Will you answer the call? Let's pray. Father, we live in amazing times. Times that we never thought we'd see. Things are happening around us. Darkness descends. Opposition comes. Things we thought were settled. Foundations seem to be collapsing around us. We thank You, Lord, that You are not worried. We thank You You're not pacing around in heaven. You're seated on the throne. You're working out Your plan. You're holding us sovereignly in Your hands. So, Lord, give us clear eyes, full hearts, no fear, so that whether we live or whether we die, we will never, never, never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it in His name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.